And mm-hmm. I have noticed as a teacher, even within the last four to five years, I think there has been a drop in attention span. Okay, we are recording now. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right, I guess you could say. Well, welcome to Safety Last. Thank you for agreeing to, to do this. I uh, really do appreciate it. Um, do you prefer Olivia, Ollie, or Via, or I don't know? W- yeah, what do Olivia, you prefer? yeah, Olivia works just fine. So I, you know, just a little background to why I started a podcast for me it was always like the idea of like talking to uh people i found interesting and about ideas i found interesting and for me something that i'd always been interested in and something that i've always wanted to talk about was like how weird to me anyway generation z is like your generation like you know i feel like i have some exposure because of the internet and because i'm a teacher but um it's just kind of strange honestly and I saw your video on YouTube and I was like, no, nah, i got to reach out. So I did reach <laughs> out. Thank you for responding. And um, I guess maybe just introduce yourself to my audience. You're, do you consider yourself a YouTuber? Like, do you, or do you just consider yourself a person mm. who uses YouTube? It's tough because it's hard to know where to draw the line. Um, I never expected my channel to gain as much traction as it has so I don't know if I've qualified as the YouTuber label if you could call (laughs) it that Um, but hi so my name is Olivia I do things on YouTube I post content on YouTube Um, it's not like my full-time career or anything I just do it as a side hobby I'm still a student at the University of Toronto right now and I am studying philosophy, ethics, society, and law, and contemporary Asian studies in my program. Yo, no way. That's like everything I've ever wanted to do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm really excited. I've been learning some interesting things, you know, not a STEM girl, that's for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You would no, no one wants to be a STEM girl. <laughs> um, so I actually looked at your YouTube channel. Um, like I said, I reached out a few weeks ago and then I just dropped back on uh, a few days ago and you, you're you basically at 35,000. Like you increased by like 10,000 over the span of like a week and a half. So yeah, how do it, you feel it, about that? <laughs> it was crazy. I didn't expect it. Um, I started YouTube just because in the summer I wanted to do something productive with my time, but the pandemic made it really difficult to find internships or volunteer work. So I was like, you know what? Maybe YouTube is a fun hobby that I could try out, share my thoughts and opinions on things. Um, and I guess the YouTube algorithm has been kind to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, and as I was saying before, you just covered some topics that I found interesting, whether it's uh, you talked about kid core, which is a fashion mm-hmm. aesthetic, which is, you know, we actually spoke about it a little bit and we were talking about, you know, like, it, does it have any relation to vaporwave or, you know, does it have no similarities mm-hmm. and stuff like that? But yeah, like you're covering things like 
philosophy and also some just cultural movements and i think i'm also someone and i'm sure this also applies to you for me i see something i see like a trend or i see a movement or i see a certain general statistic and my first reaction is like oh that's really cool and then secondly it's like i really want to know why that has happened mm-hmm. and do you feel like that's also a part of your personality and is that what drives you to make these videos yeah i am someone who definitely thinks about why things happen how things happen i'm really curious about the deeper the inner workings of how things happen um and i think that's just something that comes from someone being a philosophy student Um, Mm -hmm. because we're always looking at the deep questions (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean as 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 um what's his name socrates said you know a life unexamined is a life not living right yes yes philosophy 101 (laughs) um no sorry i interrupted you uh keep going as you were saying oh yeah so i and that's one reason why i wanted to do some analysis on certain topics that I want to take a look at. And the other reason, and perhaps even the more important reason why I decided to put these videos out publicly rather than just think about them privately is because I feel like um, the internet has become quite polarizing, um, especially in the younger generation, actually. And I really don't like that. I really hope that people actually start to talk to each other more, are more kind to each other, um, and consider perspectives that perhaps are not so obvious to them. What do you mean by polarizing? Because I've always felt the internet, because of the anonymous nature of it, is by nature. I just used the word nature four times in a sentence, but (laughs) by nature, it's very polarizing. So is it any different to the internet that I am used to or the internet that I jumped on when I was, you know, in my younger years as well? I think by polarizing, I mean, um, I'm not sure. I can't fully speak to what it was like when you were younger. So I, maybe I'm getting it wrong. But I think that nowadays, um, a lot of people are very, very solid in what they believe. Um, And I think just the fact that there have been a lot of sub communities created online, especially if you've ever heard of the term Stan, have you heard of that before? (laughs) Stan Lee? Yeah, I'm a high school teacher. So um, the amount of times I've heard, I've actually had students ask me if I'm a Stan and then you're Stan Uh, of XYZ. And um, yeah, it comes from the Eminem song, right? I have no idea actually where it comes from. Maybe it is. Have you heard of this Eminem song or am I like literally like an ancient boomer in comparison? <laughs> no, 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 no. I I don't know where it comes from. I actually thought it came from the word stalker and fan put together. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of that. Okay, well, two theories here. I don't know mm-hmm. which one's correct, but... Let, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> Audience, <laughs> comment below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... But there's been a huge rise in stan culture, I think, where people identify themselves as being a supporter of a specific individual or a specific group. Um, And then it's like ride or die, you know. Oh, Mm -hmm. you said this about this person I stan? Well, then I don't care about anything else (laughs) that you stand for, anything else that you said. Now I'm going to cancel you. 
that's another thing the rise of cancel culture i don't know if that was around when you were younger but it's i swear if you open twitter every day like someone's getting canceled over something you know what's crazy like i'm not too much older than you um but i i hear terminology like stan and you know i obviously i've heard of cancel culture as well but Mm -hmm. i guess people who are closer to my age like we we just don't use that terminology and this Mm. is probably exacerbated by the fact that i don't have tiktok and i've actually looked at tiktok um a few times when i don't know someone shows it to me or i'm browsing youtube and i see like a tiktok video and to me it's like overwhelming as in it's so much information it's like so visually overwhelming actually talking about this idea when I told one of my friends that I was interviewing you and that you'd come onto my podcast they're like yo okay let me check out this person's YouTube and I you know sent sent him the link and his first reaction and he's like my age his first reaction is like yo even this person's like video um what do you call it the video photo the profile video photo oh the the, thumbnail um, thumbnail that's it yeah there you go I am I am an ancient boomer the thumbnail (laughs) of the videos it's also very Gen Z. Like you have so much like visual content in your thumbnails. So I thought that was really interesting. And actually looking at some of your thumbnails, I'm like, yo, she's definitely from like Generation Z. Yeah, I actually never thought of that before. Um, I didn't even think about that when I'm making my thumbnails. I just was like, oh, I think that this is what would attract people to come because you're very right people in my generation just love as much uh, I guess visual stimulation as possible Mm. I I don't know if you've ever seen any memes about this or seen videos on this but there's this joke that is also true for a lot of people where you try to consume like five types of media at once just so that you stop your brain from producing a single thought Um, what yeah wait is this a real thing that people do Yes, this is a real thing people do. They don't No way. They don't <laughs> no consciously <way. laughs> tell they don't consciously tell themselves, I'm going to stop my brain from working, so that's why I'm doing this. But they all know deep down that, you know, some people they'll have Netflix open on one screen, be playing video games on another screen, um, also be scrolling through like TikTok at the same time on their phone, doing all of these things simultaneously, um, because they don't want to Think, do they get a heart attack like how is that like existentially I possible i actually don't know i've never done it before <laughs> uh-huh that's I've, I've actually never heard of that well there you go you learn there something we go. new yeah. um you know actually what's interesting is i do think and i'm gonna sound like an old person like, you know lecturing the younger generation like you know back in my day etc you know <laughs> I'm, I'm not that much older than you but what is interesting is i do teach people i guess closer to your age group and mm-hmm. I have noticed as a teacher, even within the last four to five years, I think there has been a drop in attention span. And mm. I think what you were saying before, I think that's relevant because if you're exposed to so much media, it's actually hard to retain your attention. Um, you know, if you have TikTok open and then you have like Instagram open and then you have a video game, Netflix, like it's you're just so overloaded. And for me, every time I search a video to play um, in class, I always look for five minutes and shorter because I think if it's anything higher, students are, I don't want to say they're 
they're unable to, but they find it quite difficult to pay attention. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, but for example, my roommate, actually, I like to do yoga sometimes at night and it's like a 30 minute video. It's just quiet music in the back and I'm following this lady on the screen for half an hour. And my roommate tries to join me. And I kid you not, after one minute, she goes, I'm bored. <laughs> that is, um, the Buddha yeah. just heard that sentence and just had like a heart attack. Just there. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Buddha. <laughs> but you know, like, I, I think the difference is a lot of people, a lot of the older generations will hear this and they will go like, you know, your generation is the worst. And this is mm-hmm. something that always happens. But the thing is, I really think your generation can't be held accountable because it's simply the context. And if I was much younger or if I was born in 2003 or 2005, I'm sure I would be exactly the same. Yeah, no, I think it's really hard um, because we're always bombarded with media everywhere. And I guess this kind of relates to what I talked about in my video, but I think another reason why people just want to mindlessly scroll so much is that so many people in this young generation are constantly anxious about something, constantly worried about something. And so they don't want to face those anxieties and they just turn to, you know, consuming media so that they can Mm -hmm. distract themselves instead. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's, I totally agree with that. I guess that segues pretty nicely to what I wanted to talk about and actually why I messaged you in the first place. So um, your video was about Generation Z humor and how strange it is and how like, particularly the old generations, they just find it almost in, inaccessible. And I actually agree with a lot of what you said, if not everything you said in the video. But from that, I wanted to actually talk about your generation, not just humor, but what it's like to grow up with the internet at your fingertips. Basically, from the day you were born, you and the rest of your generation had access to like the internet, YouTube, Instagram, all these things almost immediately. And whilst I am, I guess, familiar with technology, I'm not a digital native in the sense that you are, because Mm -hmm. you literally, I'm not sure what the first experience or your first experience of technology is, but I remember even in primary school and even in high school, like asking my parents, like, Hey, can we get like, you know, can we get the internet or can I get a mobile phone? Like I remember asking my parents for that. Mm. Yeah. I've never had to ask for internet before. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the, uh, to the good old days. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think growing up on the internet, Uh, like we mentioned before, there's like an oversaturation of information in media. So I think for one, what that means is that um, people always feel like they are comparing themselves to others. And as if there's this external observer always around them, even when they're not online or even when they're alone. Um, Like for me personally, sometimes you know, why do I get dressed so nicely? I think it's because I feel as though when I go online, um, people always look so nice. And I feel like I have to meet that expectation as well. Um, It, it becomes like part of your identity, this online world. 
it's becomes hard to just differentiate the two at this point and well have you ever felt this need to dress up even when you're alone by yourself so i don't i don't think i usually do but i know that some people do and even if i don't feel the need to dress up when i'm alone i'll admit i definitely feel better about myself when i dress mm-hmm. up even when i'm alone mm-hmm. and if you were just doing things like going to the groceries or going to the library and you don't plan to meet anyone is there still that pressure and if if the answer is yes does it come from this idea that you're always being watched or surveyed and that if someone whipped out their phone and recorded you you wanted to look your best is that where that fear comes from yeah i really think it is yeah you're right because if i go out i'm hoping that i don't see anyone i know if i'm not you know looking presentable enough in my mm-hmm. own eyes um it's just i think because also growing up online you tend to see and i think you touched on this a bit earlier but because everything is anonymous online people tend to be more willing to say things that they wouldn't in real life and mm-hmm. it's just become uh brutal sometimes online and you don't want to be on the receiving end of that so have you actually watched the uh the animated film perfect blue no i haven't what is that okay i highly recommend it so it is and to anyone else listening um perfect blue is by satoshi kon who's one of the arguably the greatest uh animator or you know anime director of all time and his film perfect blue talks about this person or this idol whose world becomes um increasingly infused with the digital world and from memory it's actually been ages since i watched it um but she, the idol reads the fan diary of someone pretending to be her so she has a fan who is obsessed with her and then that fan keeps a diary pretending to be her i don't know why he does this but as she reads this diary and she becomes more and more engrossed in it her idea of reality starts slipping and she mm-hmm. slips in and out of both worlds and it's it's actually really terrifying and it's really really good but highly recommended perfect blue okay that is definitely on my to watch list now mm-hmm. um and just thinking about this one you know you said that you were interested in philosophy and i guess if i was to bring philosophy into it something that this reminds me of is by this philosopher french philosopher um french postmodernist philosopher possibly but his name is guy uh, guy debord and mm-hmm. he mentioned something which i think is really really relevant in this in your generation and probably more relevant you know in the years to come just as technology becomes ever more saturated and ever more important in our lives and that idea is the idea of the uh, society of the spectacle which is basically that we live in a society we live in a society that <laughs> um the most important thing is how people perceive us so i guess the big difference is you know we've always been interested in in uh, presentation and stuff but previously uh, the argument was 
that we wanted to consume or we wanted to accumulate more things, like more physical things. Like here's my car, here's my, mm. you know, this is my house. But nowadays, something which is just as important is to accumulate almost the image to have the facade to like have um, um I, I maybe i'll explain it like this and and then i'll get your opinion but if we look at donald trump for example uh donald trump's i guess his main selling point was really his image like no one really i guess knew his policies and honestly i guess you could say the same for like hillary clinton like these are people who you know both of them in my eyes were almost like actors they were like a spectacle and they to me didn't really have very solid um policies or even if they did that really wasn't the selling point to them for trump it was all about the idea of like i am you know a true you know i'm politically incorrect and i tell it as it is and then hillary clinton on the other hand her image and her selling point was really I'm so much more refined and I'm a stateswoman. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is the idea of the society of the spectacle. Like we are becoming increasingly, I guess, integrated into this web of like images and facade. I agree. I agree. I think that's why the 2016 American election was so, um, so <laughs> difficult. And a lot of people didn't like it because they were like, ah, these two candidates do I really want either of them (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah I think that it's hard because a lot of the time now I think part of it might come down to because we're so used to just taking things as it is on the internet um a lot of what we decide now is based on perception rather than actual knowledge and looking deeper into things, you know, maybe that's why people were drawn to these politicians who you said seem to be more like actors because they put on this show and we can perceive them in this certain way that makes us feel as though their policies underlying them should also be good. Mm. You know, uh, 2024, I'm hoping for the Oprah Kanye presidential debate <laughs> make it happen <laughs> oh that would be that would be historical <laughs> that would be insane i think the internet would like self-implode at that point i don't even know what would happen <laughs> <laughs> um so i guess do you think there is um a consequence to this and i'll bring up something that came to mind when i was thinking about this podcast and this topic and I heard this actually in quite right-wing, um, I guess, places or just like YouTube videos. And I guess I just have an interest in politics. So I often, you know, jump between quite left-wing and then quite right-wing and then quite centrist sources. And something they were talking about when it came to, what was it? I think it was either immigration or it was either like women's rights. It was, either, I don't know, something like pretty mm-hmm. out there. And they said something like, you know, us changing this family unit is the experiment or yeah something like that because you know we've never really you know walked down this path before in civilization and whilst you know i'm not really sure i agree with that the i the comment of it's an experiment to me kind of stuck and i feel like in a way that for your generation and i guess you could say my generation and definitely the generations that come and that follow like what is it like to be born with a mobile phone in your hands 
And what would that actually do to like our psyche and our attention span and our mental health and our physical health? Like how would this change how we date, how we look at family, how we look at romance? And I guess like, how do you think your generation is different to mine? Um, you know, apart from what we've said, which is that I think your generation is obviously a lot more tech savvy and just um, maybe even more saturated with media than, than I am. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to call it an experiment because in a, in a way, I think Gen Z like to experiment a lot with their identity um, because they're not really sure <laughs> what to be or who to be. Um, and I think that's why a lot of them tend to actually latch on to these aesthetics already pre-built for them to assign mm -hmm. themselves to. For example, kid core, you know, I am kidcore or I am indie grunge right you like to put yourself in that box so you feel secure like oh I know my identity in this sense um, and I also think just because growing up on the internet you see so many different types of people you're suddenly able to talk to people from all over the world from all of having all of these different experiences you open your mind to the different types of possibilities of what you can do or who you can be. So for example, maybe back in the day, someone who was gay wouldn't have really known what that meant or how to tell if they were gay because they weren't able to talk to other gay people in a safe, open, non-judgmental space. But now online, you see you're able to go into those like different forums. Um, you're able to converse with other people who share your same experiences. And so you're able to better understand yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's honestly the fracturing of the internet into subgroups, right? Mm -hmm. It's so easy to jump into a subgroup. If you just Google, you know, you know, I don't know, gay Reddit or, um, you know, football Reddit or, you know, whatever it is, like, it's so easy to jump into subgroups. And to me, when I hear that, the first thing that comes to mind is that really seems to sever the link between identity and physical place. Like previously, you'd have to go to a place or a city in order to, you know, jump into, for example, if you go to Korea or something like that, to, you know, immerse yourself in Korean society or, if you were really interested in, I don't know, rainforest or something, go to a specific area in the world with rainforest to immerse yourself into that culture, into, into that environment. But it really seems like more and more, and especially so with virtual reality, that physical space and culture is no longer interwo interweaved like it was previously. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, that's definitely true. Um, and I think there are definitely good sides to that, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't have to go to China now in order to experience Chinese culture and my Chinese background. Um, but at the same time, I just hope that people don't become too reliant on these identities to the point where that's all that they define themselves as. Someone part of this identity and not an individual who belongs to all these different types of identity groups, but at the end is still an individual of their own right. So do you think the fact that these cultures and these subgroups and identities are so accessible, do you think that also means it's 
quite weak in the sense that people find it very easy because there's no physical restraint. There's no physical barrier to jump between subgroups. And do you think that, I guess, what do you think that does to like a person's psyche? Um, do you feel like that means that people in your generation see themselves as more like fluid and flexible than ever before? Because one day they can, uh, you know, browse Reddit skateboarding community. And the next day they can be looking at indie rock. And the next day they could be like on a nineties Nirvana binge. Do you feel like identity has become ever more replaceable and ever more accessible as well? And the downside being, oh, I guess it could be a downside. The downside being this identity isn't really ingrained. I find it hard to answer this question because I don't, I don't really know if there's an answer to this because on one side, I say, yes, absolutely. It makes identity more fluid. Um, you're seeing people, for example, I've seen a lot more people who are gender fluid nowadays on like TikTok and things in just recently. Like, I don't think I've ever seen um, like a big attention put on gender fluid people, maybe even just last year. But now I see a lot of people experimenting with, you know, masculinity and femininity and being willing to like switch between those two, um, which I think is very cool. And I think that it's really amazing to be open to different types of identities or exploring different groups. But on the flip side, I also see people going onto the internet, finding a group they really like and then being really immersed in it and not wanting to go out on the internet. And it almost becomes like a me versus others thing where it's like, oh, this is my group. And now I can see who all of the people who aren't in my group are. Can you give me an example of this? Yeah. So maybe I guess it's, it's something in fashion aesthetics where maybe now you identify as a, let's say, 90s grunge person. I don't know. You identify yourself as a 90s grunge person. And if you really, really buy into that aesthetic, I guess, then you look at all the other aesthetics and you're like, oh, I recognize that these all exist, but this is who I am now. So these other aesthetics have their like own way of life. I have my own way of life. And that's just how it is. You know, what's interesting. I read this article ages ago. And so I can't tell you who wrote it. And I can't tell you, I actually can't tell you the name of the article. So it actually seems like I've never read it at all. But um, <laughs> I did read this article, you know, many moons ago. And mm -hmm. it talked about how this obsession with identity um, which by the way, I'm not just throwing at your generation. I'm sure that my generation was the same and it's probably going to get increasingly mm -hmm. um, stronger, you know, as the next generation, generation, I don't know, iPod after you guys or generation <laughs> iPhone after you. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like that is really just accelerated hypercapitalism in the sense mm. that you can link your identity to certain clothing and certain accessories that you can purchase. And I guess what that reminds me of, um, you know, if I can tell this, you know, short little story is when I was in Japan, 
me and my friends went to this place called Sendai, uh, which is a city, which is, I guess it's kind of the northern side of the, the main island. And there was this temple, this gorgeous temple three hours away. So me and my friends, we hired a rental car and we drove there. And, you know, it was stunning. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. But part of me recognized that that trip would have previously taken someone like four days, five days a week to do. And the idea for that separation was actually only those who are like really dedicated to the Buddhist pilgrim would actually make that, make that trip. And at the end, they were rewarded with this gorgeous site. And to me, it almost felt like shortcoming that and being able to arrive there in like two, three hours. It was like, I saw it, but it didn't have any other meaning because it was so accessible. And I wonder if that's like, you know, if that links with capitalism and just identity that someone can buy, and maybe I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, but someone can buy like a Nirvana shirt and immediately feel like they're in the grunge movement. Is that, does that have any correlation of what you're trying to say? Yeah, no, definitely. I was nodding my head along to everything you were saying there. It's identity has definitely been very linked to what you have in, in a material sense nowadays. Um, for example, that Nirvana shirt example is spot on. Um, you know, what clothes you wear, that kind of tells you not just what fashion a person likes now, but also what political stances they have, what mm. they do in their free time, uh, what, how they treat their friends. You know, there's a joke where it's like, oh, if you see a guy wearing um, a black puffer jacket with gray sweatpants, Yeezys, and has his hair in like that little curly ramen type perm? of hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perm. <laughs> it's like, oh, then you know that he's a Toronto man's. He uses certain slang. Wait, he doesn't what go does to that school. Mean? Wait, is a Toronto, oh. wait, Toronto as in like the, the city oh. Toronto? Yeah, Tor oh, yeah, Toronto. Okay. I, <laughs> it's, I guess it's a saying here, Toronto uh, mans, they use Toronto slang. Um, uh, yeah, and they don't go to school as much. You know, they like to, <laughs> they, they like to be, um, they just like to look cool and have swag. <laughs> Mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. if you if you dressed the same person in a collared shirt you know in a blazer with some nice loafers everyone's just gonna assume that you are smart that you know you what read books for fun you know what I'm, I'm gonna push back on that um not that I disagree with what you're trying to say I, mm-hmm. I definitely think outfit and costume and appearance has some bearing on how you perceived but I feel like that has always been sort of the case, mm-hmm. um, you know, even maybe even with my generation now, maybe the difference and the nuance in the argument, and maybe this is what you're trying to say is that it has increasingly become so because previously, you know, uh, 50 years ago, hundred years ago, you know, if I were, if I wore a suit to like a construction site, people would <laughs> think I was ridiculous anyway. So, but maybe what you're trying to say is there's a um, now more than ever, the internet has allowed fashion and material objects to be associated more so with um, with identity and something else that um, actually, you know what, before I, you know, this is a mistake that a lot of teachers do and I make this mistake too. I'm going to let you answer the question before I, before I ask another <laughs> question. <laughs> um, yeah, no worries. So 
yeah, you're right that it's always been this way, of course. Um, but I think you explained what I was trying to say correctly, that it's been happening more and more, even with some little things that perhaps didn't matter as much. Um, for example, I know some people who think about what they want their forks and spoons and knives to look like because no they want those utensils to represent like their identity right no like way. some people yeah some people want to buy pink utensils because they're like my branding is that i like pink Karl marx is crying right now he cannot <laughs> believe this is happening <laughs> that is yeah. insane and actually um what i wanted to bring up before was uh talking about philosophy there was this uh wait, let me get my thoughts who said this it was jean baudrillard and he came up with this idea which i think is very relevant and i think we've touched upon this without actually saying it and he said something called schizophrenic society and he just it was talking about how like our culture and our media landscape has increasingly become schizophrenic and what he means by that is you know, before the internet, before you could basically hold all of human knowledge in your hand, if you were in a certain area, you would obviously be surrounded by that dialect, that accent, that style of fashion, et cetera, et cetera. But the internet means that it's schizophrenic because you can literally scroll through media from every different subsection of society. And not only that, every different country in the world, like I can flip over my phone and look at Mm, Spanish fashion and then I can mm. look at you know fashion from Paris or you know like a film from Paris and then I can jump to Taiwan and then I can jump to Russia and then I can jump to Canada so that idea of a schizophrenic society do you agree with that do you think you see that in your generation do you think it's schizophrenic and do you think the media or maybe even TikTok is like schizophrenic I could you clarify like schizophrenic a little bit more? Cause I don't want to answer this mm -hmm. with some assumption on what that term means. Mm -hmm. Schizophrenic in the sense that I think incoherent is probably the best word. Like as in you, for example, if you're reading a novel, like you simply read that novel and then you get from, you know, point A to the end. And then, you know, that's a coherent source of literature but mm -hmm. schizophrenic would be in the sense that if you inserted like different symbols and different words and different ideas into, into it. So it's no longer a single piece of text. It's almost got so much uh, intertextual references from outside mm. um, that it's almost like no longer a coherent. So for example, if we, you know, just imagine we flip, a, you know, we turn on a switch and then we, we jump back to 16th century Russia and we live in a village, like we are surrounded by a single unbroken coherent culture. And, and this is not a comment on whether, you know, that culture is good or bad, but in the sense that it's dominant because we don't have the ability to move to other places and we don't have the internet to listen to, for example, K-pop in 16th century Russia. But nowadays, because we have so much access to different things, we walk through a schizophrenic society that is so much intertextual references from, you know, different places. And thus we get almost burdened by this schizophrenic um, narrative or the schizophrenic media landscape. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I understand what you're getting at. And actually, when you brought up how there's so many like intertextual references, 
um, I don't know if we should segue into this yet, but if mm-hmm. we're not, I'll still mention it. Um, the I had like this one Gen Z meme that I had mm-hmm. selected to show you, um, mm-hmm. and it actually relies on the fact of, um, it relies on knowing other memes and other references in order to understand this. And I feel like that's the way it is for a lot of memes or a lot of humor nowadays where it's like, oh, you have to be up to date um, with what's going on everywhere, not just in your own little local environment, but because I guess, as you said, you can hop to whatever now, right? You can watch a Spanish film here, then go off and learn about Japanese fashion over there. Um, there's this like expectation to just be up to date with everything and it can get a little confusing sometimes. Um, and I think perhaps I could be wrong, but this is just a little theory. Perhaps this is why there is like this, it's so hard to not be canceled (laughs) because there's an expectation to be quote unquote woke to know everything in the world Mm -hmm. but you know it's it's hard especially when it's incoherent like a schizophrenic society you can't understand everything um especially when it's given you to you in like pieces right you might see one tiktok about something but you don't have any context behind this like one minute video outside of it. Do you think this fear of being canceled or being doxxed or just revealed to be a bad person or whatever, is that a big fear in your generation? I think that it is. Um, And if people don't think about it that much, then they probably are confident that they won't get canceled because they'll just say what people like. (laughs) I don't know if that sounds too harsh, but it, it is a worry that I have, I guess. But I think that's because of the nature of the content that I post. Mm-hmm. That is true. Yeah, it, it is quite political and you know philosophical. And it does mention a lot of like cultural stuff. Um, I wanted to bring up, you know, let's talk about humor. That's actually a great place we could segue to. Um, I'm going to talk about some of my experiences and I'd love to hear, you know, any input, any comments or any stories in particular stories would be great. Um, but as a basketball coach from my previous school, um, I had to ride the bus with the students to the basketball games. And what I noticed was in that short period of time, uh, actually not a short period of time, it was like three years, but students would constantly be singing like these internet, like meme songs so um was it the frozen became very popular also they sung gunham style a few times and you know frogman mm. uh, no wait no what's it called um you know uh i'm not gonna sing it i'm gonna sound ridiculous gonna sing it, but, uh, take me home to like something something road or you know take me home uh, that whatever that is i have okay. no idea what's what do you know what i'm talking is it about old that town song? road are you talking about no it, uh, take it, me home Oh, um, country road like that's that's it yeah yeah okay. that's it and to me like the joke was because these you know especially that song that's like 40 years old right the joke was like it had be it had almost been colonized by the internet or it had been assimilated into the internet into this like wider joke and they would sing it but if someone who was like 50 listened to it they would think they were singing it in earnest that they were actually mm-hmm. singing it. But 
I guess to me, and I'd like to get your opinion on it, like the joke was to sing a song that was sort of popular, but to do it in a way which is ironic and only people who knew it was ironic knew that that was the joke. Yes, I actually have a very similar example to this um, with the song uh, where it goes like because everyone started using it ironically online as a meme and it's actually a very beloved song (laughs) for people like my parents back in China. They genuinely like that song. And I remember when I first told my parents about it or when I showed them like funny songs, uh, funny videos using that song, they were very confused. They were like, what's so funny, right? Like, this is just the song that we would listen to when we were younger. And it's really interesting because it seems as if the humor behind like this song is not in the song, but it's in the fact that there are other people who understand it's ironic. And if there were no other people who understood that it was ironic or deemed it to be ironic, then that humor would also be lost. Mm. And I think another thing, I actually have a story I want to touch on, but I think another part of that joke is the fact that it's such a niche intertextual reference. Yes. Like you have Mm, I don't know uh, you ha- you have this video that's like completely random I don't know Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. you know, doing a fadeaway jump shot and then you have that song playing in the background and it's such a weird combination of like internet ironic humor and as you said if my parents was, were to watch that they would be like wait why on earth did they put you know this song over Kobe Bryant like this is just bizarre but for anyone who I guess is somewhat well versed with the internet they're like, okay, it's ironic and it's like mocking, but the joke is, you know, do you understand the like the meta reference mm-hmm. underneath this? Like the joke isn't the fact that, that the song is playing. It's everyone knows that you play this song in order to signify, you know, internet humor. Yes, exactly. Mm, and, uh, you know, actually, you know, just a story on, on that. Um the previous school I worked at, you know, shout out to you know anyone from the previous school that I worked <laughs> at. Um, they it was had a huge East Asian uh, student body. Now a lot of the teachers were, uh, I guess, Caucasian or not Asian. And what was funny was, I started hearing this song like a year or two years ago, and the first time I heard it as I was like walking through you know, between the desk, checking on students, making sure they were doing the work. I heard this student hum it and I was like, what? Like, what on earth? There is no way this like 14-year-old student knows this song. Like, no way. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were humming it. And then I gradually heard it more and more. And then a few months later, there was this like competition. I don't know. It was like a get, it was like, are you okay day? Something like that, mm. where students got to choose the song to play in between periods right they actually got an online like voting competition and they could choose you know what song to play um and what's funny is shuhua piao piao won like hands down like it was Uh it completely like it completely destroyed the ranks um it it just destroyed the contest and what was funny is like you know you like it played and then you hear the students just like laughing and then the teachers on the other hand were like mortified they're like 
what the what is this like <laughs> what is this song that's playing and then but they were completely out of the loop right they didn't know the inside yeah. joke and um they were so confused by by that um by that the incident and the first time I saw this like ironic meta commentary which is a very inclusive joke uh, so exclusive in the sense that like if you're if you're old and you don't understand this or you just don't browse the internet like you don't understand yeah any of these references but the first time I saw this was with the internet trying to reclaim minion memes from like 40 year old aunties that's the first time I saw it oh I see like they would take a minion meme and they would write like you know like the like the aunties would write like I love drinking wine or something and then someone would take it and they would say like you know I've seen the face of God and my eyes are bleeding or something like that something ridiculous and and you know I think that was the internet trying to be maybe that wasn't the first time but that was the first time I saw it being like extra meta extra ironic in order to take back almost intellectual property which they felt like you know aunties and uncles had taken from them yeah no the minion memes are very funny and I think like people love taking old memes or like old humor and then just turning it into something way more random Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's like a very that's like a set format (laughs) that a lot of memes like to take on and Mm -hmm. you know what I find it very funny I'm sold yeah you know unfortunately I I look at some of them and I I do find it funny so I don't know what that says about me Um, (laughs) welcome um, to Gen Z I guess yeah I thank you very warm welcome um so another reason I, I mentioned this and I find this so fascinating is you know what that really shows is like there's almost a other ecosystem that Gen Z exists in apart from the physical world that they have to be you know attached to or or linked into or a part of in order to really understand these cultural references because if you don't have the internet or whatever like this is just incomprehensible and completely inaccessible and I think what it really shows on a deeper level is how attached generation z is to the internet because if these memes are supposed to be like you know you you can only get it through you know browsing the internet for ages uh, you know like the internet Mm -hmm. you have to be attached to the internet to do this Mm -hmm. yeah like there are just certain things that you had to have seen it or else you just don't understand it and part of it is just spending time online which i think um (laughs) it might be helping reinforce this cycle of constantly being on social media and on TikTok, which I can't say is a particularly good thing, but that's the way it is. Do you think this ironic persona that a lot of Generation Z have, do you think this is detrimental in the long run? Like, do you think it stifles protest or it stifles... Mm, involvement or it stifles political action I don't really have an answer to this but do you think this irony is almost self-defeating that's a good question it's hard because you think that if someone was ironic all the time um, it means that they probably don't care as much 
um, or they just like to find things funny and don't really like to think about things as something that's like serious and sincere. But I actually feel like, and I'm, and I'm sure that like there are numbers out there for this as well, that Gen Z is like so politically active. Perhaps that's just because so much of Gen Z is still really young. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how this evolves as Gen Z grows up. But I feel like a lot of Gen Z does like to be on the activist side of things. You know, if you just scroll through people's like Instagram stories, you will never, you will get a never ending like flow of petitions or like infographics um, or like political tweets. Like people mm. really have an opinion to say about these things. And I think perhaps the way of being like super ironic about things is like, a coping mechanism um, to be able to like deal with it all so that they can be sincere when they feel like they need it but then sometimes they also need to blow off that steam mm, I actually agree with that when I was you know in high school I knew nothing about politics like nothing and I think part of this is because politics has become as I said before a spectacle I remember mm -hmm. in 2020, so last year, when the American elections were happening, even in Australia, like students were like tuning out because they would be refreshing their website or refreshing Google to see who had won. Mm -hmm. And it's almost become, it's almost become like a game. Um, what do you think about this though? Um, I think part of the reason that your generation is so political is because I think the internet has exposed your generation to a lot of things, which even I wasn't exposed to. And I actually really think that has robbed your generation of like innocence to me, because I don't feel like your generation has been allowed to grow up without, you know, articles of terrorism or articles of like climate change or articles of like, you know, black lives matter and stuff like that. So to me, this is so in your face and I don't think your generation gets away to, you know, to turn it off. So that's my first question. Do you think the internet has like robbed your generation of this innocence? And the second question I want to throw your way is, um, what was the question? Um, you know what? Go with the first one and I'll ask the second one when I think of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think you're right that we've definitely been exposed to things so early on. So we know about these issues um, from an early age as well. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. I think it depends on what happens after our innocence is robbed, as you called it, um, because if we are exposed to these issues happening in the real world, but then we have like healthy discussion about it, I think that's great, um, especially to start young and be aware of these things rather than being like stuck in a bubble and only finding out about all these issues when you grow up. However, on the flip side, if you are exposed to all of this information about these issues, and then rather than having healthy discussion about it, um, you have people telling you what to think. I don't believe that's really good, especially when you're so young and impressionable. And I actually remember the question I wanted to ask, which is, you were saying that a lot of times if you go on Facebook or Instagram, you'll find people advocating for a political party or a political stance. Do you think that has 
become what I, I read somewhere on the internet called slacktivism. This idea of like being able to be politically active in a way which is not really time consuming or threatening. And by extension, do you think politics and the constant use of politics in your generation, I'll just take your word for it because I'm not really scrolling through, you know, um, <laughs> those, those stories, but do you think that it has also become an identity accessory? Like just like the person wearing the grunge Nirvana shirt, you know, advocating a certain political stance is a way to differentiate yourself as a, as a person, as an identity. Oh, definitely. Definitely. People will make all types of assumptions about you based on like what identity you have. I remember there was this one TikTok I saw um, where someone was interviewing this like grandma on the street and he had asked her, uh, what is your favorite thing in the world? And she had said something like precious, like taking walks in the park or something. Mm -hmm. And then he asked her, uh, what is your least favorite thing in the world? And she answered with mm, Republicans. Mm -hmm. And then the entire comment section was just flooded with people being like, oh my gosh, I stand this grandma or that's going to be me when I'm older. Oh my or, Lord. <laughs> oh, uh, haha, she knows what's up. Things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's definitely been like this identity, identity label that you can put on and people seem to know everything about you if you say like, I am Democrat or I am Republican. I am, you know, socialist, whatever it is. Mm. So fundamentally, this stand culture, which I honestly only hear um, from young people and also from uh, when it's really, I only hear this on like K-pop. That's the only time I ever <laughs> hear the word stand. But this stand culture, it seems like has permeated politics or it's permeated, you know, fashion or something like it's been quite tribal. Yes. Yeah. It's not just something in music, though. I think that's where a lot of it still is. Like that's where it dominates for sure, especially the K-pop, as you said. Um, mm. But no, it extends to other areas of the Internet as well. Um, I don't think young people stand politicians as much, per se, because I think um, even if they do like certain politicians, there's still some understanding that, you know, they're politicians. Um, they have some sort of political agenda they'd like to uh, achieve. Um, so not too much standing of politicians, but it is <laughs> a casual term that people now throw around a lot just to express support for something. Mm. So do you, so what do you think is the future? I mean, that, that's such a load. I know that's such a loaded question <laughs> and I'm not expecting, you know, divination, you know, pull out your crystal ball, but like, what do you think is the culmination of all of this? Because on one hand, I agree with you. I see a generation which is so politically active and especially things like climate change. I honestly find it really commendable that your generation is so active in that sense. And maybe it's like a self-help thing. Like, you know, if, if we don't care about the environment, then you know, we're screwed. So maybe there's a, a you know, self-defense mechanism in that aspect. You know, so on one hand, I see such a politically active group on the other hand i see a lot of nihilism in the generation and mm -hmm. the humor is just so dark like it, it it makes me like 
quite uncomfortable. I thought I had dark humor when I was in high school <laughs> because I'd make the occasional, like, you know, somewhat edgy joke. But the stuff that I'm hearing, I'm like, oh my Lord, like time out. Like, dude, like, do you want to talk about this? Like, that's my reaction <laughs> to a lot of the jokes. So I, I see this and then I see like an irony and then I see like this internet addiction. And then I also see, um, you know, a shortening attention span, which just because of the internet access. So I, I guess, what do you think the future holds for this generation? Yeah, so it's it's hard to say as you expected, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that it's hard to tell because sometimes, and I guess this is something that's human nature, but there's a lot of contradictory um, clues as to what will happen. Like, I think in my video, I talked about how uh, nihilistic humor, like the nihilistic humor that Gen Z has um, is one, you know, some sort of like coping mechanism to deal with all of this. Um, But two, it also points to like, the fact that they are acknowledging that these issues exist, how just how bad they are, and that they still have like some sort of hope to be able to solve it. Like instead of just making extremely dark jokes and being like, okay, haha, when you have no friends, lol, or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they, they make these jokes about like really awful situations, but there's still like a, there's still like a lighthearted um, sense to it and I thought that perhaps that means our generation still has hope of changing something or of something better in the future but then after I published my video I was reading through some comments and there were quite a few people who were saying no I don't think we have any hope I think we've given up <laughs> and I was like oh wow perhaps you know, yeah that's so yeah. young like and and maybe if you look at the the meme economy i can't believe i just said that but if you look at the meme <laughs> the memes that appear online have you seen the one that is appearing more and more frequently like my parents at 23 and the me at 23 oh, have you seen that yes i have seen those yeah it, that's quite self-defeating and it's also quite funny but i think it points to this idea of stagnation or this idea of being unable to move up or own property or have children because of you know economic issues or mm-hmm. you know climate change or something like that so you know on one hand i guess as i was saying just to go back to a question i see such a politically active and such a politically um, in tune generation in ways that even my friends are not like that and um and on the other hand, there's this real sense of apathy. So like, it just seems like it's a conflicting mm-hmm. um, battle. You know, you have political intuitiveness and then apathy. Yeah, I think I worry too about this slacktivism, as you called it, which is why I'm not sure how things will turn out in the future because um, people love to be activists online because as you said, it is quite easy to just repost something on your story and call it a day. Um, But whether it will amount to anything is hard to tell because, you know, in my personal life, I see a lot of people who will post things online, say things online, but in real life, they don't really do anything. You know, they still continue to 
buy from fast fashion. They still continue to not recycle properly. They still drive because they're too lazy to walk. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that if you do all of these things, you're like evil or something. You know, I, I don't consider you to be an evil person because you chose to walk, uh, drive instead of walk. But it's just, I hope that in the future, I see more action online translating to the way that people actually live their lives. Mm. And, and by that comment, it almost seems like the online world has enough weight or enough like importance that one needs to keep their facade in the digital space because that actually affects them in the real life. So there's almost like this need to foster this identity and to be this perfect person, this person that this person that can't be cancelled online. So you don't feel the repercussions in the real world. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely fair. And I was just reminded of this because you were talking about how um, there's so many like memes about that are like self-deprecating, like, oh, my parents at 23 versus me at 23. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this struggle between feeling sorry for yourself, but also wanting to change things about the world and helping other people is just hard because um, people want to focus on themselves, but at the same time, they want to like solve climate change. Um, and it's just hard to, I guess, balance your time or like allocate your time onto how much you should do this or that. So do you think there's, I don't want to use the word a cure because that implies this like magical, you know, snap your fingers and then something happens. <laughs> but do you think there is a way that we could, you know, we've identified a few things that your generation, I guess, struggle with. And I just want to say, this isn't your fault in the sense that you're always products of the context and stuff. And if I was your age, I'm sure I would feel very similar. But is there a way to, you know, I guess, get generate your generation um, more active or just like, you know, like, what do we do? Do we just turn off the internet? Like, is there a way to uh, I guess, proceed? Uh, that's such a vague question, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I think I understand. And um, even though I had a lot of comments on my video saying like, no, we we just have no hope anymore. Um, I don't really think anything's going to change. I, you know, as someone who's also part of this generation, do still have hope for things. And I believe that the internet is a powerful tool for good if you use it properly. Um, I think that like, as people are like growing up, we're becoming more self-aware of things and we're able to like reflect on what we've done in the past. You know, I know people in my like circle or at my school who do do great things in their real life. Um, and the internet is not just like some facade for them, but it's actually like a tool that they use to help forward their like goals and what they want to accomplish. So I think maybe, hopefully, I'm gonna say hopefully, um, as we grow up, we develop like a consciousness, a self-consciousness of what we've been doing. I, I, cause I know we can't just shut off the internet. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, it's hard. I, I don't have answers either to, you yeah, know, to be honest. Hey, I've got two things. I've got two things I want to ask. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been talking about your generation a lot. And obviously when you put the spotlight on a generation, immediately you can, you know, you can see the positives and the negatives, but is there anything that you find strange about older generations or even a younger generation? Is there such thing as a young, younger generation, the generation Z? Is that actually, okay. So I'm pretty sure that right now, Gen Z is defined as like 1997 to 2012. Mm-hmm. But correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So I guess anyone born after 2012 is like the actual youngest generation, but they just Man, haven't what developed on earth enough. Would they be? I generation. <laughs> like I, I said, I generation. There's iPhone. no letter. <laughs> there's no letter after Z. <laughs> uh-huh. mm. Yeah. I guess they are the youngest generation. So, but they haven't obviously grown up enough yet for like research centers to like study them long enough. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see what, what happens. What do you find like millennials to be strange or do you find boomers to be strange? Um, yeah. Is there, you know, do you find anything different in older generations? I don't think I find any generation strange if you like look at the context they grew up in like I know I said that Gen Z humor is like absurd or random but it makes sense for it to be that way if you like Mm -hmm. look at the context that people grew up in so Mm -hmm. yeah I wouldn't call it strange but there are definitely like differences in how you grow up and how you view the world Um, though I don't want to say that the line between like how people view the world is like this rough like this really definite line, like, oh, if you're a boomer, then you must like look at the world in this way. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a millennial, then you you can't possibly like understand the world the way a Gen Z does. Like, I don't think that's also fair to mm-hmm. say. Um, mm-hmm. But I think maybe, and I don't, I don't want to say this as like, I'm certain about it because, you know, I haven't lived um, in those eras. But I think maybe older generations have a more, have a greater sense of like hope or things that think that things will eventually work out um, because a lot of horrible things haven't happened yet. And even if they did, the internet wasn't fully developed for them to hear about it all the time. Mm. and your generation is really the post 9-11 generation like Mm -hmm. you've grown up with you know 9-11 and images of terrorism and you know the war in Afghanistan to just end it and you know wars in Iraq and the Middle East and stuff like that so I'm sure that plays into your your psyche in a way that growing up like you know in the 50s and 60s after the end of World War II and you know, seeming, I guess they had the Cold War. You know what? Actually, I take that back. The Cold War was a pretty important period of time. Yes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but still, you know, that being said, I'm sure like growing up with 9-11 in your your mind or in the cultural psyche would have led to potentially more pessimistic outlook on life. Yeah, I think that that's probably why. And I think, you know, millennials too millennials probably have like a more pessimistic outlook on life um, because they also experienced 9-11 when they were like younger um, just growing up Um, but I Mm. thought and I don't know if this makes sense or not but I'm just going to say it I thought that 
Gen Z would actually be more optimistic than millennials because I thought, oh, you know, millennials would have seen a pre 9-11 world. So they would have seen like a, I don't want to say better, but I'm just going to say like a world that wasn't so scared of terrorism. Mm -hmm. And then they saw 9-11 happen and now from there on it kind of maybe felt like things just went downhill like 9-11 then Iraq mm-hmm. war then the economic mm-hmm. recession blah blah blah. like things just keep going downhill whereas and we haven't Gen- even mentioned the coronavirus I mean yeah we, you know, we've been talking for like an hour and a half and we haven't even mentioned the coronavirus so um sorry go on yeah no that, like right another thing that's happened never catches a break mm. <laughs> Uh, But for Gen Z, I was thinking like, oh, so when we were born, all of these bad things have happened and they have continued to happen. But I feel like that's why Gen Z might expect things to finally go uphill at some point. Like we haven't seen that uphill yet. So there's still like some hope that it's yet to come. That's actually really interesting. I've never thought about that. Um, Maybe because... I was very young as well when 9-11 happened. And I remember having Cartoon Networks be cancelled in the morning Mm. just so they would replay over and over, you know, the towers being hit and just um, how much of a shock it was to the adults afterwards. But yeah, because I was still fairly young, it was uh, kind of blindsided me and I didn't really know, you know, what to think about it. Um, Mm -hmm. One more question and then I think we'll call it. Um, What do you think your generation to the generation z what do you think is your best attribute or like something which you can say for example it could be and i know we've like you know thrown shade at it but it could be the fact that you're so politically active or the fact that your generation more than any other generation before are digital natives so you know how to use the internet for you know petitions or something so do you think there's something that your generation really brings to the table that gives it strength and power Hmm. Okay, let me think about this one for a second. Because, you know, we've always, we've been talking about like, you know, short attention span and all these negatives. And, you know, whilst I think everything we said is true, I, you know, I don't think your generation is that positive either. Hmm. I think there are perhaps two things and they're probably related to each other. I think one, Gen Z has a special sense of like unity with one another um and perhaps that's because people grew up online and so you always felt like you were connected to everyone else in your age as well Um, and i think that that sense of unity can be really great because you can build all these like communities online and feel included and i think that's also why this is my other idea I, I perhaps I'm wrong, but I feel like Gen Z is quite empathetic in general, as in empathetic with people who, you know, face some sort of struggles in their life. They like to be like kind to other people. Um, and <laughs> this sounds bad because I'm not saying that older generations are like rude and mean or something, <laughs> but I think Gen Z are particularly inclined to side with those who are maybe on like the uh, the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. 
And, and do you think that's, that's because of the internet? Do you think having exposure to different lifestyles and different people and different values have given your generation that empathy? Yeah, because I think that now you are able to like see all of these like bad things that people go through. Um, you're forced to consult with it as such a young age, right? Like when you're nine years old, you already are looking at all these people like starving in the streets in some other country or like um, the world is going to like burn very soon. <laughs> and it's like this awakening, like, wow, like we need to, we need to change something. We need to hold people accountable. And I think that that's a strength of Gen Z, I guess, to, to be really passionate about something. I'll put it like that. Gen Z like to be very passionate about things. So while sometimes that means that they will be extremely dedicated to one side and perhaps not be as tolerant to some other people, it also means that you can count on them to go through with what they say they'll do with extreme dedication. That's really dope. Uh, I think that's, that's a really awesome thing. And if we could tap into, or when I say we, I say we as if I'm in that generation, but if your generation <laughs> can tap into that, that passion and that empathy, I really think that might counter the apathy that we spoke about previously. So that's awesome. And, you know, if that's true, Gen Z, you know, keep the fire burning and go out there and make some damn change, man. I, I sure hope so. And I hope, you know, like, you know, you can say we, I'm sure that you're not that, you know, you're not that much older than me. These like generational cohorts, they're just general, like, mm, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, thank you, Olivia. This has been so fun. Uh, really enlightening as well. Thank you for jumping in and, um, you know, good luck to your YouTube career. I'm not sure if we can use the word career, but your YouTube <laughs> platform. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug or any, any other videos or ideas that you are thinking of releasing in the future? Oh man, I always feel awkward um, promoting myself. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't go run, run with the wind. Uh, okay. I don't have anything to promote, I guess. Um, I'll just say that I guess I, my next video, I think is going to be, I think it's a touchy subject. I'm expecting some backlash on it maybe, um, but I'm trying to find empathy for anti-vaxxers and anti-mask people um, Ooh, because I think, okay. yeah, I think that it's become a very, very um, politicized topic. And I'd like to try and challenge some people to think about why people are anti-vax, why people are anti-mask, and if there's any way that we can have some understanding. Not, not necessarily you have to like share their belief, right? Like I am fully vaxxed, you know, I wear my mask everywhere, but that doesn't mean that I can't have some understanding for where they come from. And I'm hoping that this is a better route to solving this pandemic or at least having it close earlier. Cause I think at this point, throwing scientific papers at each other is not changing anyone's mind on anything. Mm, I totally agree with that. And um, that's such an interesting topic. And you're probably going to get cancelled. 
<laughs> I know I'm, I'm a little I'm like very worried but I was thinking like I'm a small creator you know I'm, I'm a small creator and if I really believe in like free public discourse I should also make sure that I'm upholding that value myself damn right that's that's a great value um and I totally agree yeah if that's something you stand for you should do it and I will happily happily you know watch it and you know and maybe we could talk about it afterwards only if I'm not cancelled <laughs> yeah if, if you get cancelled before this podcast gets released I'm just deleting it and denying <laughs> I ever spoke to you deleting you of all contacts never contact me again <laughs> um but no thank you Olivia this has been um so so fun uh so everyone you know go check out her youtube channel uh i'm sure you have an insta yeah yeah you definitely do have an instagram go check out her instagram um and you know go go stan olivia <laughs> oh my god i can't believe i said that <laughs> oh my god well <laughs> welcome the- <laughs> i guess i guess i'm in gen z now anyway yeah, you, um, thank you so much for having me this is really fun as well yes well my pleasure and uh we'll talk soon yeah see you Catch up.